Okay, good morning, good morning. So good to see you here today. If you are a guest with us, special welcome to you. Maybe this is your second week with us. You tuned in last week. Grateful to have you here. Maybe this is your second week in a row at church ever. We're welcome. We're glad to have you here and welcome. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 13. And if you are new, this is a great time for you to be here because we're starting a new series on parables, on teachings of Jesus. And you saw that video right there. And in there, we've titled it Truth Hidden in Plain Sight. And the reason why is because these teachings that we're going to look at through Jesus, he tells us these truths, and it's, it's, it's in plain sight. It's for us to see, and yet so many people miss it. And you're like, Ryan, how do we miss something that's there in plain sight? Well, in Matthew 13 today, Jesus is going to tell us, tell us how we miss these things that are pl placed in plain sight for you and I to see. So he's going to tell us, we're going to be in uh, chapter 13, we'll start in verse 1. And if you're new to the Bible as a whole and you're thinking, I don't even know what a parable is, before we read the first parable, actually this is a parable on parables, uh, we need to understand what a parable is. And parable literally means to lay alongside something. That's what it literally means. And so what Jesus is doing is he's laying a story alongside of a truth. He's like going to tell, similar to what we would say is an illustration today. Except what we're going to see is Jesus, many times with his illustrations, makes us think about the answer to the story instead of just giving us the truth. So we'll look here starting in verse 1. This is what the word of the Lord says. That same day Jesus went out of the house and he sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him. So he got into the boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And so he told them many things in parables, saying... A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. Birds came down and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately sprang up since there was no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and those thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. He who has ears, let him hear. Now we're going to keep reading, but verse 9 is important because Jesus is going to say that over and over and over again throughout this whole sermon. Listen up, pay attention to what I'm saying. That's so important that we grasp it. So he says, listen, pay attention. Now, there's a little fast forward that happens here in Matthew. This is later after Jesus is taught. We're going to go through the whole chapter 13 in the next few weeks. But for our sake, Jesus, or Matthew, fast forwards later to Jesus and the disciples talking. Verse 10, the disciples came to him and said, Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, they prophesy the prophecy of Isaiah, which is an Old Testament prophet, is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's hearts grow dull, and with their eyes they can, or with their ears they can barely hear, with their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. 
But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and religious people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and hear what you hear and did not hear it. Verse 18, hear then. Listen up, pay attention. Jesus is going to explain the parable now. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what is sown among the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a little while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what's sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what is sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands it, and indeed bears fruit that yields in one case a hundredfold, and another sixty, and in another thirty. It's the word of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we need you to speak to us today. Lord, open up our ears that we would hear your truth, soften our hearts that we would believe in your truth. God, there's so many distractions, there's so many obstacles that keep us from seeing what is laid before us in plain sight. So today I ask that you would remove those. Remove those from our heart and our mind, God, from our lives, and may we be able to hear your truth. God, we need you now. Take a moment to pray in this silence um, that God would speak to you today. You'll be able to hear his truth clearly. Pray that now. And pray for me as we look at these teachings of Christ, as we look at this sermon of Jesus, that God would use me and I would be helpful for you today. Pray for me now. Lord, challenge us today, convict us, comfort us. God, and I pray that you would give us the courage to be obedient to what you're calling us to do. May we respond well to your truth today. It's in Christ's name we ask. Amen. All right, I want us, before we start unpacking the entirety of this text that I just read, I want us to take a moment and put ourselves in this passage. Okay, this is a a moment in history. This is a true moment in time. And I want you to put yourself there because we read this or maybe we're familiar with the Bible and we just kind of move on. But we need to feel the awkwardness of this moment. Like we need to just embrace the awkwardness for a minute. So Jesus has been healing people. He's been doing miracles. He's been claiming that he can forgive sins and showing that he has authority over everything. And so people are starting to come. Great crowds is what this passage says. Great crowds are coming to listen to what Jesus says. But more importantly, they're looking to get something from Jesus. We want to see miracles. We want to get fed. Like all these things, they're looking to get something from Jesus. So they show up on the scene here while Jesus is just sitting out by the, the sea. Jesus is like, all right, I'm going to teach right now. And I'm not going to do miracles. I'm not going to do something magnificent in this moment outside of just teaching the truth in plain sight. And so Jesus starts and he, he tells here and multiple places in the rest of chapter 13, we're going to see his one sermon, these farming stories, these farming illustrations. 
And he starts, and he's basically like, all right, so there's a seed that gets thrown out there, and there's a bird that comes down and, and eats it up, and, and then there's other seed that goes out there that gets choked out, or it comes up, and the sun comes up, and it withers it, and it goes away. And then there's some seed that actually produces grain and fold. All right, good story. Disciples, go ahead and let's wrap it up. We're done. Let's, let's move on. And, and like, that's, that's where Jesus ends, like no explanation in this moment as he's preaching. Like imagine if I did that. You bring some friends for, to West Bears for the first time, and you come in here, and I just tell just some random story, maybe about NASCAR, because we have NASCAR right now. And I just put four tires on the, the vehicle, and then it goes around this track and takes uh, four turns and then comes back and goes into the pit. See y'all later. And I just walk off the stage. Like, what would you do in that moment? Like, that's weird, right? That's what Jesus is doing. Like, you need to see that. That's what Jesus is doing in the moment, which is why the disciples come, come to him afterwards, and they're like, what was that, Jesus? <laughs> like, what, what did you just do right there? Like, what? Like, these people are coming to hear you, and, and, and Jesus, why are you teaching them in parables? Like, you could be teaching much better if, like, you just threw some miracles in on this, Jesus. What are you doing? And then Jesus, in, in both Matthew, Mark, and Luke, says the same thing. All of them include what happens right here, where he quotes Isaiah. They're like, why are you teaching parables? And he's like, hey, some of you are going to hear, and some of you aren't going to hear this truth. Some of you are going to respond, and some of you aren't going to respond. And basically what Jesus is saying is there's an in-group and there's an out-group. There's people that hear this truth and they understand it and they repent and they respond to the truth that has been spoken to them. And there's other people that are like, see, uh, farming, grain, where are the miracles? Where's the food? No food, no miracles, no Jesus, I'm out. Like, I'm, I'm gone. And they leave. And so Jesus is saying right here, there's an in-group and there's an out-group. And the question that we should be asking with that is like, which one am I? Because one group gets forgiven and gets to become a part of the kingdom. And one group walks away and completely misses the truth of this moment. So the question is, how do I know if I'm in the in group or not? How do I, find, how do I know if I'm in or I'm out? I need to know Jesus. And that's what Jesus is going to tell them as he explains this parable to them. He's going to give them ways to know if you are a part of the kingdom of Christ or if you're not. And how do you know if you're in or you're out? Ultimately, we'll unpack this some more, but ultimately, it's how you respond to the truth that you've heard. That's how you know if you're in or out. How you respond, the way that you respond shows if you're a part of the group. Some people walk away and some people walk towards Jesus and say, Jesus, okay, we don't understand everything, but we see you working miracles and forgiving sins. We see that you're the son of God, but this whole seed and dirt thing, we don't understand. Help us get that. And disciples are one of those, but it actually says a crowd comes and asks Jesus these questions afterwards. A group of people respond by coming to Jesus with questions. Help us to understand this. Help us to understand this. And so as we unpack this pa passage, I want to ask us personally three questions to help us understand if we're responding rightly to the word of God. Are we in this in-group responding rightly or are we not? And the first question I want us to get is, will you truly hear Jesus? And I know that sounds like a simple 
elementary question, but will you truly hear Jesus? The reason why we have to ask that is because Jesus keeps saying it over and over and over again. Listen up, pay attention, hear what I'm saying. Jesus continues to say it. We'll see it through the rest of chapter 13. He's like, hey, pay attention, listen up. If you have ears, which is everybody in here, if you have ears, listen to what I'm saying. Pay attention to it. Respond to it. Now, this is crucial because Jesus calls them to hear. And there's a huge difference between hearing and listening. We've all realized this, whether it's in the workplace or in family life, there's a huge difference between hearing and listening. Hearing is somebody speaks and you're processing what they're saying. You're hearing it and it's going down into your heart and you're responding to it. Listening is they speak and it's just bouncing off your ears and you're just going along your merry way, right? Like they can say whatever they want to say. That's fine. I listen, but I don't hear. And Jesus in this moment is saying, no, listen. But more than that, let it go down to your heart. Hear the very words that I'm saying to you because it will change your life. I mean, this is a matter of life and death. It's a matter of life and death. And Jesus is saying, pay attention. It's important. It's important that you hear what I'm saying to you. And the disciples hear him say, pay attention and hear it. And they don't understand it. And so they come to Jesus afterwards and they're like, Jesus, can you just help us? Can you just help us? And this is great. This is the right response. If you want to truly hear Jesus, so you would come and say, I don't get it, but I need your help to get it. Would you stir my heart and my mind that I would understand? And when Jesus responds to their question with Isaiah, it's, it's, it's bothered a lot of people throughout the years. Where they're like, what is Jesus actually saying here? Is Jesus saying like, he's trying to tell these things so that people don't understand and that some people do and like he's wanting some people not to be able to understand. Like what is Jesus talking about? And it really bothers them that moment. What Jesus is saying is you and I cannot hear his truth without him stirring in our hearts. We cannot initiate that. We can't do it. We need him to do it. So he's not denying people coming into the kingdom. And we know that because if you read in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah even tells you, hey, those that are blind, they will see. And those that are deaf, they will actually hear the truth. So Isaiah gives hope to those that he speaks of earlier. They're like, they're not hearing, they're not seeing the truth. Well, guess what? With God and his power, nothing is impossible. And he will change their hearts so they can hear and receive and believe. And so it shouldn't bother us except for the truth that is only God and God alone that can give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And that shouldn't bother us at all because it starts with him and ultimately it ends with him. Jesus is speaking. Would we hear and would we respond? And some of us may think, maybe some of the disciples thought this, like, well, Jesus, I would hear and I would respond better if you were just a better communicator. If you were just a better teacher, then like I would understand this because like this is confusing, Jesus. Like, what is going on here? But here's the thing that we got to grasp and understand. Jesus is the best communicator that has ever walked this earth. Best communicator. So if we don't understand this, it has nothing to do with him, and it has everything to do with us. And the reason why we know he's the best communicator is because he's the one that invented communication. He's the one that spoke everything into existence. He's the one that created every language that we speak. Jesus did that. And so when he speaks and we don't understand, it is not his fault. It's ours. And so we come to him just like the disciples and we're like, we don't get it. Help us. Help us understand. 
And that's okay if that's you. That's okay if you, you've read the Bible and you're like, I don't understand all of this. Great. You'd make a great disciple. Come and follow Jesus. Ask these questions. This is one of the things I love about our small groups here at West Cabarrus. This is what we do. We take the text that we walk through in the morning and sometime during the week or that evening, we get together as a group and we're like, I don't understand this. And we just ask questions and we start to unfold the word together. And we're like, okay, this makes sense. Because there's going to be other people that are in your small group that know passages that maybe you've forgotten or you've never heard that help you understand these things better. Or maybe they're asking the same question and y'all walk through it together to find the answer, praying, God, would you open up our eyes to see your beautiful truth and understand it? We need God to move. But the question is, are you truly going to listen to him today? Are you truly going to hear what he's saying and allow it to settle in your soul and your heart? And would you respond to it? Because the reality is there's going to be a lot a lot of distractions that pull you away from hearing and responding to God's truth. And that's what Jesus highlights as he starts to unpack this parable, which leads us to our second question. Will you be distracted away from Jesus? Will you be distracted away from Jesus? Will you hear? That's first. Am I going to hear the word of God? But the second is, are you going to be distracted away from what you just heard? Because three of the four soils, that's what happens. They hear it, and then they do nothing with it. They don't respond to it in any way. And that's what you find. And so all these distractions are are littered throughout these different soils. And I want us to see those things. Because this is what's so important. We have to grasp this. We have to understand this. Distraction. Distraction has led more people to hell than doubt has. Distraction has led more people to hell than doubt has. You can bring your doubts to God. At least you're thinking about him. But if you're distracted by, God, by, by all these things in the world that you're not even thinking about God, then where are you going? What's your life all about? And Satan knows best that distractions are what pull you away from what truly matters. And so there's so many distractions that we're going to see here. And I just want to highlight several of these from this parable of Jesus. And the first distraction is the distraction of temptation. Temptation. You see this with the the seed that's on the the paved path. Now, you might be, where is is temptation? What are you talking about, Ryan? Well, it talks about the seed that's on the path, the evil one, Satan comes down and snatches the truth away, snatches it from his heart. And Satan comes at us in two different ways. A lot of times we think Satan's just going to strong arm us, going to come in here and just take everything away. He's going to use all these spiritual powers to take all these things away from us. Maybe that's some ways that Satan works, but I think far more common is that Satan just comes and snatches those things away through seduction. He just puts little temptations in our lives and it just slowly pulls us away from what we used to hold to so tightly. And how do you get something out of somebody's grasp that they've got so tightly? Well, you can try to force open their hand and take it out, or you just get them focused and distracted on something else and they just slowly forget about this and just start to drop it and focus in on this over here. And I believe that's what Satan does is he snatches away this truth from our hearts and our minds. He puts these temptations in our lives that pull us away from what really matters. And so we live in these temptations and continue to give in to them and what we do is we find ourselves far from God and completely empty of him. 
So we have this distraction of temptation. And let me just say that that's happening even in this room right now. Like some of you are hearing the word of God read and taught, and your mind is racing to so many other temptations. Like some of you right now are thinking about things, sinful things, temptations that you're going to do this afternoon. You've already made up your mind. You're like, let me get through church. As soon as I'm out of church, like, I've got to do these things. Some of you are thinking about things this week that you're going to act on. Those temptations are before you. If you're not careful, Satan is going to take away all that truth that's in your heart. See, it's not just letting the words bounce on your ears. They have to go down into your heart and your life and change you. And that's what Jesus desires. So beware of the distraction of temptation. Second, beware of the distraction of pain. You're like, pain? What are you, what are you talking about, Ryan? Well, the second soil that Jesus talks about is this rocky ground. And it says they hear the word and then they respond to it with joy. This is somebody that's like, yes, this is great. Like, I've got a lot of joy in my life because I hear this truth and this is fantastic. But then as soon as pain hits, as soon as what the Bible says in verse 21, tribulation or persecution arises, they immediately fall away. You see, the person receives it with joy. And they'll stick with it as long as the joy is there. As long as I can be happy, then we're, then we're good. I'll, I'll follow you, Jesus. But you remember last week we talked about this. We follow Jesus not because he makes our life better, but because he's better than life. And there's a huge difference. And some of us struggle with this and we, we move away from God and, and we, we lose our ultimate joy because we sit here and we're like, wait a second, Jesus, I thought if I came to you, I wouldn't have to live anything like you. I wouldn't have to have any pain in my life or any suffering in my life. And, and then here they're suffering. Like, wait a second, what's going on? And Jesus has warned us about these things. And he's like, hey, the different struggles and suffering, like I can empathize and sympathize with you. Jesus sees it and knows it. But he's like, let, don't let these things distract you from what I'm calling you to do. Don't let people who mock and make fun of you based on your faith keep you from sharing the gospel. Don't do it. Some of you, and I've heard multiple people say this to me at times as a pastor. They're like, pastor, how in the world did God allow the suffering? How did he allow this pain to happen? Like, why is this going on to my husband or my wife or in my family? For those that have read the Bible and know the truth, Jesus has already told us over and over again. He agrees with you. It's not right. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And so we're like, why is this happening? Jesus is like, I already told you. It's because of the brokenness of this world. There's sin in this world that is made my world that, that was very good, now broken and distorted. And so Jesus can sympathize and empathize with you and what you see is the brokenness of this world. But Jesus gives us hope. You see that? Jesus is like, all these things that are broken, I'm going to fix. I will. And throughout Jesus' ministry, he shows us over and over and over again glimpses of his kingdom, the way the world is supposed to be. We sit here and we're like, why is there hunger in this world and famine? And then Jesus feeds 5,000 and 4,000, and he's basically saying, guys, there's no famine. There's no empty bellies in my kingdom. There's not. I will feed people. And we look and we're like, why is there pain and there's suffering? Why is there cancer in the world? And why are people paralyzed? And why is all this problem going on? And Jesus is like, I know that's why I've healed all these people. So you would get a glimpse of what the kingdom looks like, where there'll be no more pain. There'll be no more paralyzed people. There'll be no more cancer or death. It'll be gone. 
Jesus is saying, I see all the same problems that, that you see, and I'm going to fix them. I'm mending this broken world. And so don't be distracted by all these pains. Look to me, fix your eyes on me, and know that I am your only hope, the only one that's going to fix all of these things. Don't be distracted from him in the midst of pain. Be drawn to Christ. But Jesus tells us that there are many that are going to see tribulation and pain and suffering, and they're going to fall away. And Jesus is warning us in the moment, don't be distracted by those things. Rather, be drawn to me. The third distraction he warns us about is the distraction of pleasure. Pleasure. So if it's not pain, it's, it's the opposite extreme. It's the sense of pleasure. Verse 22, he tells about the seed that goes into the, the thorny ground. And he says, these are the ones that have roots, but then they come up in the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke it out. And that's the, ple- the pleasures of this world are choking it out. Now, there are many passages as a pastor that, that scare me, but this is one of, one of the ones at the top. Because we look at the first two, and it's clear those aren't followers of Jesus, right? Like, we can look at it and be like, one didn't want to listen to anything, one listened for a bit and then, and then ran away. But this third one, like, they have roots. Like, they're not running away. Pain's not drawing them away. It's not temptations ultimately not drawing them away. In this moment, what's drawing them away is just the busyness of life. You see, Satan doesn't have to make you bad to send you to hell. He just has to make you busy. And that's what he does in this moment. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out any fruit. becomes unfruitful. And it terrifies me because I feel like, and I know this is a general statement, but I feel like this is where the American church falls so often. We have so many blessings and pleasures in this world, and there's nothing wrong with good things, right? All good things come from above. But it's when we make those good things our great and ultimate things. And so many people in the American church, this is where they fall. Where they're like, you know, I can love God and I can love the world. And Jesus is telling you that you can't. You'll have a divided heart. Now, the cares of this world, he doesn't unpack specifically what those were, but we could guess at some of those things. Some of us right now, it's the to-do list. The cares of the world that are coming up in your mind and your heart right now are just the things you got to do this week. You're thinking about it and you're like, I've got to do this for work or I've got to do laundry or I forgot to mow the grass yesterday. I've got to make sure I do it this afternoon. So our mind's always rushing to what's next and we're never living in the moment. Our to-do lists are robbing us of the truth that Christ has laid out there for us. And there's nothing wrong with to-do lists. I love to-do lists. I love to check it off and feel like I've accomplished something, right? There's times I'll even go back after I've done something and write it on a list just to check it off, right? Like it's, it's a good thing to just check things off a list. But that can be a care of this world, and you continually set your mind on all the cares of this world, and you miss Christ. You miss him. For others of us, this could be the good things of family, where your mind right now is racing towards kids or grandkids. And once again, God's word is clear. Those are a blessing from the Lord. Those are good things. But you're allowing your mind to be overwhelmed with all of those good things that you're missing out on the truth that Christ is trying to teach you this morning. For students, 
some of the cares of your world, maybe social media, where even right now, like, it's killing you inside not to be able to pull up your phone and, like, scroll Instagram. Like, it's killing you. Because you want to know what other people are thinking and saying, even about you. And so you start to think, man, I just got to know what they think or what they say. Did did they like my post? Was it good? And all these cares of the world are robbing you for what really matters. That God cares about you and he cares about your life. That he likes you. That he loves you. That he gave it all for you. So don't be dissuaded away by the cares of this world. But also he attaches to that, Jesus says, the deceitfulness of riches. That money. That money can deceive you. And we talked about this in our generosity series a few weeks ago, but... Money is not bad, right? Ultimately, money is not bad. You can do good things with money. You can do bad things with money. Money is, is, is neutral. But there is something that Jesus is highlighting here, that money can be deceitful. And how is it deceitful? Because we, we look to money to give us our security or our safety or our significance. And it ultimately doesn't do that. Like, we get more money and then we're more insecure because we're like, what if I lose all this money? Like, I have more to lose now. And it deceives us thinking that, well, I'll be satisfied if I get these things. If I can get these things, then I'll be satisfied. The things that you have now, 10 years ago, you would have thought they would have been plenty. 10 years ago, if you could look back, you'd think, what I have today is plenty. And yet you're still dissatisfied. You're still dissatisfied. Why is that? Why is it that we hope that when we get more, then we'll be happy, and then when we get more, we're still not satisfied? And it's because we're looking to the shadow to satisfy us what only the substance can. Jesus is the ultimate good thing. He's the great thing, and we are substituting him for all these good things, and they are good things that we should thank him for. But we can't exchange him for him. We can't. Some of you might be familiar with this um, businessman, but um, Jim Collins wrote this book. And Jim Collins, if you're not familiar with him, he, he went to Stanford um, School of Business and has wrote many books on Fortune 500 companies. He's not a believer, at least not that I know of. But he's written all these like, great, insightful facts about companies and how they grow and, and do well. And so in some of these companies he looks at and he says, they're stuck on good. These Fortune 500 companies are ones that say, I'm not going to be satisfied with good. I'm only going to be satisfied with what's great. And so what's interesting is you see the quote on the screen right here. This is how he says this at the beginning of his book, Good to Great. He says that good is the enemy of great. And it's not just a business problem. It's a human problem. He looks out here at these companies and he's like, they're satisfying for what's good and that's why they're crippled. They should be pursuing what's great. And then he's like, and it's not just a business problem. It's a human problem that we in humanity settle for what is good when what's extended to us is that which is great. And that's what Jesus is highlighting in this moment. Don't, satisfy, don't be satisfied or try to be satisfied by these cares and the deceitful things. You won't be. You have to look to Christ. He's the only one who can. He's the only one who can. So... Maybe you're here today and you're hearing these truths and you're like, okay, I'm hearing it, Jesus. I want to respond well to it. Like I, I would admit in this moment that like maybe I am this, this soil that 
continues to have that truth snatched away by temptation. Maybe that's me. It continues to be there. What, what do you want me to do, Ryan? What does Jesus want me to do in this moment? Well, no matter what soul you fall into, one of the most important things you need to realize is that you cannot change yourself. It's not the soil's responsibility to pull weeds out of it. It's not the soil's responsibility to move, remove rocks or paved paths. The soil can't do that. Who does that? The farmer. The farmer, if he wants the soil to, to, to grow where there's a path now, what does he do? He removes that rock and gets it out of the way, and then the soil is ready. And so if you're like, I continue to give into temptation, what am I supposed to do? Look to Jesus and say, Jesus, remove my heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. Allow me to love what you love and hate what you hate. Jesus, would you do that? And he will. You cannot clean yourself up and then come to Christ. Christ will do it for you. Maybe you're here and you're like, well, I've, I've heard the truth of Jesus. Maybe I'm that rocky ground where I've heard about Jesus and then I've run away from Jesus or letting pain move me away from Jesus. Or I've heard about Jesus, but the cares of this world are choking me out. I have these thorns in my life. Like, what am I supposed to do? Bring your thorns and your stones to Jesus. And say, Jesus, forgive me of these things. You're the farmer. I'm just the soil. Would you change me? You need to realize that he will. You see, you come to Jesus and you're like, I have thorns in my life. Jesus is like, no. I bore them on my brow as I wore a crown of thorns. I know the thorns in your life. If you ask me, I will remove those things. Well, Jesus, I have rocks in my heart and in my, my life. I need those removed. And Jesus was like, I know. When I died, they buried me under a stone. Like, I get your stones. Come to me and I will remove those, just like I removed that stone from the tomb as I rose from the dead. And Jesus moves in amazing ways. And he wants you to bring your doubts and your struggles and your concerns to him and know that he will change your life. Jesus will do it, but we cannot do it apart from him. We can't do it apart from him. So some of you are like, okay, Ryan, I hear what you're saying, but what does that tangibly look like? Like, how does Jesus do those things in my life? And I don't know specifically how he'll change your life, but here's just some things that Jesus has even changed in my life that I would say he could do in yours. Like for me, I get so focused on the cares of this world. But what Jesus does is he starts to change my heart and my mind where I start to care about others more than I care about myself. And when I start pouring out my life and my money and my time towards others, I stop thinking about myself so much, and it changes me. It's a part of what Christ does. You're focused on the cares of this world. Stop. Care about the things that I care about. And God says that he loves people. Love people. You're like, well, I'm struggling with, with riches and the cares of this world. One of the ways you get your vice grip off of your heart and your, maybe your throat of your greed is by being generous. Jesus would say, be generous. If you can't give it away, it's got a grip on you. And you don't have a grip on it. I mean, those are some ways that Jesus will grip and change your life for his glory. And if he does, what will happen is you'll start to bear fruit. You'll start to bear fruit in your life, which is the fourth soil, which leads us to the third question I would ask. And it's this, will you rightly respond to Jesus? Will you rightly respond to Jesus today? You can hear it, you can see the distractions in front of you, 
Now the choice is, will you rightly respond to what's there? In this last soil, that's what you see. Some respond hundredfold, others 60, and others 30. We read this, and this means nothing to us. Maybe if you're a farmer, it means something to you. But like, to most of us, we're like 100, 60, 30, whatever. Like, this was huge at this time. Huge. At this time, they would look to see if they could, at best, have somewhere between 4% return or a 7% return on their crops. And Jesus here is saying, you can have 100% return on your crops. 100%. And you're like, whoa, whoa, you're going you're gonna to offer this to me? Yeah, where's the dotted line? I want to sign up for that. I mean, even with our technology today, we don't come anywhere close to this kind of production. Even with what we know and understand, we don't get it. And so when we hear this, we should say, I want to sign up for that. I want to be a part of that. If you're going to bless me that much, Jesus, yes, how do I sign up for that? And so often we get caught up like looking and thinking about these other soils, which is good. But the ultimate question we have to ask is, how do I, how do I get to be a hundredfold soul? How do I get to be a 30 or 60? Jesus, how do I get to multiply like that? Jesus, would you help me do that? And he does it in a number of different ways, both internally and externally. So when you come to know Christ and you ask him to forgive you of your sins and you follow him, Jesus will start to multiply your life internally and externally. So internally, what it looks like if you look in the book of Galatians in your Bible in chapter 5, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is what multiplies in our hearts and in our lives. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Like these are the things that start to grow in our heart and our lives. And so we're like, man, I have a lot more self-control than I used to. The things that I, the temptations that came in my life, I'm like, there's no way I can resist that. Christ comes into your life now and you're like, I can resist that. He's given me the way of escape that I wouldn't have to give in to that temptation. That's what Jesus does. I mean, we, we look at it and we're a lot more patient. Some of you that, that came to faith later in life and you already had kids, you see this clearly in your parenting where you're a lot more patient than you used to be. You're looking at this like, man, I used to just like go off and like yell at my kids. And now like God is stirring my heart to be more patient. Or at least when you do go off on your kids, you have remorse and you apologize later, right? Like there's God working in your heart and that's bearing fruit. All of that is an internal change bearing 30, 60, 100 fold. But then there's an external factor as well. Jesus tells us back at the very beginning in verse, five, uh, verse eight that this is grain. And grain multiplies. As it grows up, it spreads the grain and more grain grows. And God calls us to do the same, that we would share the gospel with people. This truth that Jesus has given us, we spread and share these seeds just like Jesus did with others. Allowing him to change their heart and in their lives. And this is what Jesus is calling us to do. So yes, there's an internal change. Yes, there's an external change. But both are bearing fruit to the glory of God. That's what God is calling us to do, that we will respond in a way of faithfulness. Now, as we close and we kind of land the plane on this passage, I don't want you to miss the point of this passage because it's easy for us to miss the point. Some of us hear this today and we start to fruit analyze everybody else. We're fruit inspectors. We start to think, mm, you know what, my husband definitely is that second soil. Or my sister, she's the third for sure. Like, and we start to look at everybody else's life and be fruit inspectors of everybody else's life and try to put them in one of these categories. That is not what Jesus is calling us to do. He's calling us to hear 
remove distractions, and respond to him. That's what Jesus is calling us to do today. So it's not looking at everybody else's life and categorizing them. It's us looking at our own heart and our own lives and saying, Jesus, where am I? And how do you get me to be one of those fruitful soils? Jesus, would you do that? That should be our response today. Jesus, where am I? And would you please change me? Would you respond well to the truth of Jesus Christ today? Bow your heads with me. For those of you that, that know Jesus, you're the, you're the saved sinner in this room. And you're, you're bearing that fruit, that 30, 60, 100 fold, or you're fighting those battles with temptation through the power of Christ then let me just encourage you not to grow weary in bearing fruit for him. Don't grow weary. Continue to be faithful to, to see that seed grow in your life and then scatter that seed in the lives of others. And if you're faltering in either one of those places, then confess your sin and, and ask God to, to move and to change in your life that you be closer to him. Maybe you're, that, you're looking at your life and you're like, I'm 30-fold, but I want to be 60-fold or 100-fold then pray, God, if it be your will that you would use me in those ways, then please do it today. If you want me to step out in faith and to serve others through leading a small group or serving here at the church, then God, give me the boldness and the confidence to do that. God, help me not to grow weary and multiply myself for the kingdom of God. So that's the saved sinner in the room. Maybe you're the lost sinner in the room. You know you've never confessed Jesus Christ. You know without a shadow of a doubt you're that that first soil. You hear the truth and it's just flown away as soon as you leave the building. Today, I just challenge you to respond. Respond in obedience to Jesus. The way you do that is you would just pray. Pray that he would save you. Confess your faults and your failures, what we call sins, to Jesus now and say, would you forgive me? Cleanse me of all my shame and my guilt and know that he will do it. Do that now. you sit in your doubts, your fears, you're not ready to, to pray that prayer, then maybe right after service you come and talk to one of our pastors. Maybe you talk to your friend that brought you to church today. Just like disciples came to Christ and said, help me understand. Maybe you need somebody else to help you understand these things. Do that today if you're not believing in Christ. Jesus, we confess now that you are the great gardener. You pull out those rocks, you remove those thorns. God, we listen to you today. We hear you today. Lord, help us to obey. We give ourselves to you. And we ask it in Jesus' name.